0: continue talking about hope today. It's a series that I'm calling Hope Epidemic, and um, if you want to read ahead for next week, you can read Matthew chapter 10, uh, Matthew 10 verses 1 through 16. Next week, Matthew 10, 1 through 16, and then we'll also be in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 13. Now, I don't know uh, if you've ever heard it said or maybe you've said it yourself, I I know the name, but I can't put a face with it. I I know the name, but I can't put a face with it, and I think that's true of hope. I think we've heard of hope before, and the people that we we rub shoulders with in our culture, they've heard hope spoken of, but they really can't put a face with it. I would love for hope to have a face, your face. Uh, My desire is that everywhere that you go, whatever domain you're in, wherever you work, uh, whatever community you're in or whatever school you're in, that when people think about hope, they would think of you. I think that hope can have a face. And I want us to look in scripture at some of the faces of hope. And what we'll find is a recurring theme. And the theme is everybody who has become a face of hope and who dispenses hope was at one point hopeless. Every single person who offers hope to somebody else realizes at one point in their life they were hopeless. And in order to look at this, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 9, and we'll start at verse 9. Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, so this would be Matthew's house, and Matthew's a tax collector, as Jesus reclined at table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're kind of stirring the pot. But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so Jesus here, he's letting people know that Hope and the salvation of hope cannot be extended to people who don't know that they need the hope of salvation. If there are people who are rebellious and push back on the good news of the kingdom and they think that they're just fine, they have no need of Jesus Christ, there is no hope for them. They need to come to the place where they realize that they are hopeless on their own. And so the people need to realize and move in the direction of becoming Better spiritually, better. And here he uses the analogy of a physician. Uh, if if you know somebody and they're sick and they know they're sick, but they refuse to call the doctor or they refuse to take their medication, at the core of what ha- is happening is, is a form of denial or even pride. And so often, what keeps us from truly experiencing the love and forgiveness, the grace and the mercy of God, is a pride that we hold on to, where we would say, "I'm fine on my own. I don't need God." I'll work my way through this life. I'll figure it out on my own. But if we are ever to truly understand the hope that God has for us through Jesus Christ, a certain hope of everlasting life, then you and I are going to need to know we are in a hopeless condition on our own. We are hopeless and helpless when we come into this world. We're separated from God by our sin. And there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to get enough knowledge or to work hard enough or maybe to try to stack up enough good things that would put us in a position of God saying, wow, you're a great human being on your own. We are helpless and hopeless in our sin. And if ever you were to truly know the hope that God gives, the hope of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, you're going to have to drop the pride because pride prevents repentance. Pride prevents repentance. Repentance. It takes humility. And in your humility, you begin to turn to God and you say, You're right. I'm a sinner. I am helpless and hopeless on my own. And then through that repentance, He gives you His Son, Jesus Christ, His forgiveness. He gives you His Spirit. And now, out of a heart of gratitude, because you were humble, you want to take that hope and spread it and give it to others. So as I think about Jesus here and He's sitting around that table with all those tax collectors, I think there's a group of people around that table who know exactly their condition before God. Jesus has stepped into their midst, and Jesus is unlike anybody they've ever seen before. He is absolutely perfect. He he is winsome, and yet he is holy. He's talking about the kingdom of God, and they are convicted by their sin, I'm sure of it, because these are tax collectors, and tax collectors and sinners know their position before God and before others. Tax collectors were notorious for lying and for cheating. In fact, I, I want to point out another tax collector who became a face of hope, and that would be Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19. Uh, Zacchaeus uh, was was a short guy. Uh, if you were in Sunday school, we used to sing a song about a wee little man, uh, and we would sing about Zacchaeus. Uh, wee Little Man Tax Collection Agency, LLC. Uh, and when I think about Zacchaeus, I kind of picture Danny DeVito. So he's just like this. <laughs> This, this little guy. You can picture him however you want, but that, that's how I see him. So here's Luke, Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And the way that he got rich was by cheating other people, by taking their money and extorting it. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not see because he was small of stature. That is Luke's politically correct way of saying He's a a short dude. So Zacchaeus ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I'm singing the song in my head as I'm reading this. (laughs) So he hurried, and he came down and received him joyfully. Verse seven says, and when they saw it, they grumbled. Now, Luke doesn't say who they are. Who, who do you think the they is? Who, who are they? The, the Pharisees, right? The, the religious leaders. The, the Pharisees, they, they felt that they were right before God because of their position, because of their knowledge, and they, they really didn't know the condition that they were in. You, you can be so good or try to be so good and, and get to church very often and yet still be very, very far away from God. And so these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they look down on the sinful people that they're saying they have no hope. So they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And now, once again, Jesus is among all of these tax collectors. And again, Jesus is holy and he is righteous and he is other, and when Jesus steps into this place, Those individuals, they know their sin condition. There's no way to hide from it. Jesus is perfect. And Jesus is talking about a way of life that is the antithesis of the way that they have been living because they've been lying and cheating. They're duplicitous. And now Jesus is in their midst and something begins to happen in that room. And something begins to happen in Zach's heart. Watch this. And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Everybody's jaws drop in this moment. This is unlike Zacchaeus. This isn't what he normally does. He usually takes money. He doesn't give money, but he's being transformed. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So when Zacchaeus, who didn't deserve hope, received hope, he had to do something with it, and he starts to give that hope away in a very practical way. He, does, he did it financially, the, the same way that some of us have been going about meeting needs in our community and for those that are around us. So he he begins to go and he says, I'm gonna give half of my goods away. So he's giving half of his stuff to the poor. And if you're a poor person and you see Zacchaeus coming your way with money or items, now that's really exciting. And then he starts going door to door and knocking on people's doors where he used to collect money, more money than he needed. Now he's handing them money four times what they originally had been stolen from. And now everybody's hoping, man, I want Zacchaeus to come to my house. I hope he knocks on my door. And in this moment, hope has a face. It's Zach's face. They're hoping that he comes by. He had been moved and changed and transformed by the person of Jesus Christ. He had an encounter with Jesus, and it began to change him. And in his humility in this moment... He then repents, and that repentance then moves him to gratitude, and that gratitude then moves him to action. And he couldn't take the hope that he had received as a hopeless person and keep it to himself. He had to share it. And if you and I are truly going to be dispensers of this hope epidemic, then you and I need to know our hopeless condition and the deep, deep grace and love of our Father that is lavished on us and the place that he takes us from, from hopelessness to a place of certain hope in his Son, Jesus Christ. And we must share it so that your face and my face becomes a face of hope to others who feel hopeless. One more face of hopelessness I want us to see who became a face of hope, that would be the Apostle Peter. Apostle Peter. At one point, as Peter was a disciple of Jesus and nearing the point at which Jesus would then go to the cross, Jesus and Peter have this interaction. And Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, I'm always here for you. Others may desert you, I will never desert you. I've got your back, Jesus. I'm your ride or die, right? I'm, I'm here for you always, And then Jesus was arrested, and they were about to take him to the cross. And when he was arrested, this is what we find in Luke 22, verse 54. Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. He said he'd have his back. He has his back now at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. So he's going to blend in. He's gonna look like everybody else. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. So she says, this dude's a Jesus follower. But Peter denied it, saying, woman, I, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, which is plenty long to figure out I'm not being a real good friend here to Jesus, to figure out that I'm not truly being a good follower of the one that I said I would always follow. After about an hour or still, another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter knows hopelessness. He knows what it is to say that he's going to live one way and do one thing and then do something completely different. Peter knows what it is to lose hope. Because not only does he deny Jesus in this moment, he then watches Jesus die on the cross. And he had told Jesus, look, you're the son of God. You're the one that we have been waiting for. And so now, when Jesus dies, the, the Messiah that he'd been waiting for, all of his hopes and dreams in this moment kind of die along with Jesus. All, any hope that Peter might have had, like, I want to go to Jesus and say, I'm sorry that I turned my back on you. I'm sorry I wasn't there for you in your greatest need. All of that dash, and he is in a place of hopelessness. And he stayed in that place for three dark days. But then, early on a Sunday morning, the first day of the week, Some women go to the tomb where Jesus had been laid and buried dead. And once they got to the tomb, Jesus wasn't there. And they were told that Jesus had risen from the grave. And that's where we pick up in Luke 22. It's gonna be Luke 24, verse eight. And they remembered his words. This is the women. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. So the disciples are in the room. Other disciples are around as well. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So in this moment, the disciples, they're doubting. We talked about this last week. They doubted that Jesus was alive. But there there was a change that's happening in this moment for Peter. There's a glimmer of hope for him. Watch this. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. So in this moment, Peter understands what hope is. I mean, Jesus Christ died and Peter's hope died with him. And now he's getting this good news that potentially Jesus is alive and while the others are sitting in that room and they're kind of doubting like, well, that's just a fairy tale, that really can't be. There's some bit of hope that is rising up on the inside of Peter and he begins to run to the tomb. Why is he running to the tomb? I think hope is carrying his feet. And as he's on the way to the tomb, he's thinking, could it be, would it be possible that a failure like me might be able to be given a second chance? I mean, if Jesus is alive, I may have the opportunity to look in his face once again and tell him, I'm sorry. Could there be some hope for me? And there was. Jesus was alive. And in fact, they sat down on a beach around another fire this time. Remember Jesus looking through the fire and looking at Peter and just the hopelessness in that moment. Now Jesus looks through another fire and he says, Peter, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know that I love you three times. Do you love me? And each time, feed my sheep. And Peter's reinstated and he understands what hope is. But he had received a second chance. I don't know if you've ever gotten a second chance in your life before, but man, when you get a second chance, it just, it puts wind back in your sails. I've gotten second chances before. It's like a a shot of adrenaline. It's like, yes, all right, there's hope for me. I came across a story about somebody who got a second chance. It happened some time ago. It happened on New New Year's Day, 1929. It was the Rose Bowl, and UCLA was playing Georgia Tech. And so uh, I looked it up. In, in the 1920s, late 20s, they had just gotten some brand new football equipment. They had just gotten leather helmets. And so uh, they graduated from stocking caps and, you know, these snowflake guys wearing these leather helmets now, bunch of sissies. So Georgia Tech and UCLA are playing. It's late in the second half. And Georgia Tech had the ball, but they fumbled after they fumbled the ball, uh, a man on the UCLA team, on defensive team, named Roy Riggles, picked up that football and ran 65 yards in the wrong direction. As he's on the way to score for Georgia Tech, uh, another UCLA player chased him down. His teammate, Benny Lorne, tackled his own teammate before he could score for the other team. So you can just imagine the embarrassment for Roy. I mean, you've got one, one side of the crowd at the Rose Bowl cheering for your stupidity and the other side just booing how dumb you are. Now they're pinned pretty far back. UCLA isn't able to make downs, and so on fourth down, they punt. The punt is blocked, and Georgia Tech scores a safety. They're ahead. Halftime. At halftime, Roy just is dejected. He goes into the locker room, he finds a corner, he puts his head in his hands. I mean, he was a mess. And the coach for UCLA was Coach Nibs Price. And Coach Price didn't say a whole lot in the locker room that day. He probably didn't know what to say. But before they went back out onto the field, Coach Price said, Men, the same team that played the first half will start the second. So the players headed for the field, everybody but Roy. Roy, didn't you hear me? The same team that started the first half will start the second. Coach, he said, I can't do it. I've ruined you, I've ruined the University of California, I've ruined myself, I couldn't face the crowd in the stadium to save my life. Then Coach Price put his hand on Riggles' shoulder and he said, Roy, get up and go on back. The game is only half over. Riggles returned to the game and he played like he never ever played before. All of us have run the wrong direction, and God knows it. It's called sin. But just like Coach Price, God would say, get back up. Get back into the game. As long as there is breath in your lungs, there is hope for you. As long as there is breath in your lungs, there is forgiveness offered to you. I know that some of you may have come in today and you feel just the weight of guilt and shame. You've been walking away from God for a period of time. Maybe you've had maybe even a a weekend of walking away from God. And you're thinking, "Is, is is there any hope for a failure like me? Is there any chance that this God in heaven that I believe is there but I think hates me in this moment, is there a way that he would forgive me? And there is. There is always a second chance for you. There is always an opportunity for you. God would say, as long as there is breath in your lungs, there is an opportunity for you to move in my direction and to experience my forgiveness. Yes, you may be hopeless in this moment, but you do not need to remain in your hopelessness. You can begin to move in my direction by dropping the pride, by moving my way in humility, repenting of your sin, and know that when I forgive you of your sins, I am faithful and I am just, and I will forgive you of your sins, and I will purify you from all unrighteousness righteousness that's our god and that's what he offers to us And so that should fill us with just this this sense of humility and gratitude that in this moment, a loving heavenly father would move in our direction and take you in the darkest place that you are right now and say, child, I love you. This game is not over. There's hope for you. Move in my direction. And at that point, your face becomes a face of hope because you knew the place from where you came in a place of hopelessness and because of Christ gave you hope. This this is what Peter experienced. He got a second chance. In fact, I was reading 1 Peter this week, and I read 1 Peter 1, verse 3, where it says this. Peter writes, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He says, he says, this, you can have a living hope through the resurrection. And I'm thinking that as Peter is writing this, he's remembering hope carrying his feet toward that empty tomb, not knowing one way or the other. Could it be, is it possible that a failure like me might be able to receive some forgiveness? And he peeks in that tomb and he realizes, yes, There is a living hope, and his name is Jesus, and that is available for everybody. That is a certain hope that you can have. In fact, I think I need to read just a little bit more of 1 Peter 1, and hopefully it will touch a heart and encourage you today. He says, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4 says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of of your souls. That is yours. When you move away from pride, when you move away from self-sufficiency, and you move in the direction of this Jesus Christ who holds salvation in his hand for you, that certain hope is yours through Jesus who is the living hope. You may have come in just way down, by the sin in your life, or the hopelessness of the place that you find yourself. But friend, you do not need to remain hopeless because there is hope. His name is Jesus. He's moving in your direction. And you can know him. So Peter, filled with hope, he's got a story to tell. And he's gonna tell everybody that he can. And we see it in Acts chapter two when he preaches a message of hope and repentance and 3,000 people... Repent and are baptized, forever changed, understanding the salvation that is held secure by God Almighty in heaven extended to them. And I think it is best that the people of Christ are able to extend this because really, the best people to give hope are those who have received it, who those who understand just how helpless and hopeless we were on our own. This is why Christians do I believe such a great job of moving in the direction of showing care to others. As, it's why we start hospitals. It, it's why Christians have started orphanages and other ministries like Samaritan's Purse or the Hope Center. We got a we got a ministry half a mile from us called the Hope Center to dispense hope to young ladies caught up in human trafficking so that they might receive hope and then extend hope to others. How did all of that start? Well, it starts with one man, Pastor Hubert, receiving the hope of Jesus Christ and saying, well, I can't keep this to myself. I gotta extend this to other individuals. Friends, hope can have a face, your face. And you don't have to wait until you get everything perfect in your life. If you wait until that, that point, it is too late. Those of us who have experienced the forgiveness of God through his son, Jesus Christ, we now become a face of hope to others, and we have to share it, and we've got to spread it. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says, all power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you go, you go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so those of us who hear this commission of God and have received his hope, who have the gospel good news of Jesus Christ, we can't keep it to ourselves. We have to go, and then we have to go across ethnic lines and social lines to every tribe, to every tongue, to every nation, extending care and hope and kindness to widows and to orphans, to people who are brokenhearted, offering hope to hopeless individuals. That is our call to take what God has given to us out of his loving kindness to experience the hope of the living hope, Jesus Christ, and offer it to others. That is our call. Will you go with me and do that? Let's stand. Let's, let's sing to God. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.